Welcome to another episode of Short Stories Podcast, a production of adventuresinaudio.net. I'm Robert Crandall. I'm glad you could join us. I use the word us, even though it's just me. <laughs> I, I am the only one involved in every step of the production of this podcast. There is no one else, no writers, no other producers, no other anything. It's just me, something they call in the podcast space as solo. And so here we are, solo. But I do, uh, <laughs> I do refer to the plural, us, we, from time to time, because I'm referring to the voices in my head who sometimes appear on the show. And it's kind of like uh, sometimes living in an, an apartment with upstairs neighbors, and you can hear them walking around. Yes, sometimes I hear them in my head, and oh, there they go now, running and jumping up and down. Hey, can you cool it? I'm trying to do something down here. I tell you, sometimes they just don't care. Well, anyway. Hey, we have a sponsor, yes, introducing Blood Salt. Oh, it's great. Great for steaks and burgers, salads, and more. All of our blood comes from trusted sources like morgues, hospitals, abortion clinics, funeral homes, plus roadkill, murder scenes, and any other incident where large amounts of blood might be present. Blood salt comes in many varieties, adult blood, baby blood, human blood, animal blood, and all the blood types. So select your favorite and enjoy this robust addition to all of your cooking. The preceding announcement is totally fiction. It's not available anywhere. So you think blood salt is strange? Uh, have you ever heard of blood glue? Well, yes, there's such a thing, or there was. I, a water-resistant glue was used in the early 20th century. Dried blood was obtained from cattle or hog slaughterhouses and then sold as a water-soluble dark red powder. Blood glue has been used as plywood adhesive, as a paint for brickwork, and as an adhesive for filling joints between brick and building stones. So uh, that's blood glue actually exists. But there is no blood salt that I know of. I just made that up. So this now brings us to our horror word of the day. Yes, blood. Well, blood is that red fluid that circulates through our bodies, providing nutrients that sustain life. Without it, you die. When contaminated, you can become very sick. Most people have about one gallon of blood in their body. Well, I have a little less than that right now because I recently cut myself on the arm near the left elbow. The blood seeped from the wound and traveled down the arm. It was beautiful blood. 
very shiny and glossy, bright red. The stream down my arm widened as it progressed. What a lovely scarlet trail it was. Then I decided to clean the wound so I would not bleed to death, since this fluid is required to sustain life. The wound is healed and everything is fine, and I hope your blood is in exceptional condition and your health is superb. And now, our feature story. This is a story about the Bronte family, a strange mirror, and death. Let's listen now to A Dark Mirror by Arthur Quiller Couch. In the room of one of my friends hangs a mirror. It's an oblong sheet of glass set in a frame of dark, highly varnished wood, carved in the worst taste of the Regency period and relieved with faded gilt. Glancing at it from a distance, you would guess the thing a relic from some genteel drawing room of Miss Austen's time. But go nearer and look into the glass itself. By some malformation or mere freak of make, all the images it throws back are livid. Flood the room with sunshine. Stand before this glass with youth and hot blood tingling on your cheeks. And the glass will give you back neither sun nor color, but your own face, blue and dead. And behind it, a horror of inscrutable shadow. Since I heard this mirror's history, I have stood more than once and twice before it and peered into this shadow, and these are the simulacra I have seen there darkly. I have seen a bleak stone parsonage hemmed in on two sides by a graveyard, and behind for many miles nothing but somber moors climbing and stretching away. I have heard the winds moaning and weathering night and morning among the gravestones and around the angles of the house and crossing the threshold. I know by instinct that this mirror will stand over the mantel place in the bare room to the left. I know also to whom those four suppressed voices will belong that greet me while my hand is on the latch. Four children are within, three girls and a boy and they are disputing over a box of wooden soldiers. The eldest girl, a plain child with reddish-brown eyes and the most wonderfully small hands, snatches up one of the wooden soldiers, crying, This is the Duke of Wellington. This shall be the Duke. And her soldier is the gayest of all, and the tallest, and the most perfect in every part. The second girl makes her choice, and they call him Gravy because of the solemnity of his painted features. And then all laugh at the youngest girl, for she has chosen a queer little warrior much like herself. But she smiles at their laughter and smiles again when they christen him Waiting Boy. Lastly, the boy chooses. He is handsomer than his sister's 
and is their hope and pride, and has a massive brow and a mouth well formed, though a trifle loose. His soldier shall be called Bonaparte. Though the door is closed between us, I can see these motherless children under this same blue mirror, the glass that had helped to pale the blood of their mother's face after she left the warm Cornish sea that was her home and came to settle and die in this bleak exile. Some of her books are on the little bookcase here. They were sent round from the west by sea and met with shipwreck. For the most part, they are Methodist magazines. For, like most Cornish folk, her parents were followers of Wesley, and the stains of salt water are still on the pages. I know also that the father will be sitting in the room to my right, sitting at his solitary meal, for his digestion is queer, and he prefers to dine alone a strange, small, purblind man, full of sorrow and strong will. He is a clergyman, but carries a revolver in his pocket by day, and by night sleeps with it under his pillow. He has done so ever since someone told him that the moors above were unsafe for a person with his opinions. All this the glass shows me, and more. I see the children growing up. I see the girls droop and pine in this dreary parsonage where the winds nip and the miasma from the churchyard chokes them. I see the handsome promising boy go to the devil, slowly at first, then by strides. As their hope fades from his sister's faces, he drinks and takes to opium eating and worse. He comes home from a short absence, wrecked in body and soul. After this, there is no rest in the house. He sleeps in the room with that small, persistent father of his, and often there are sounds of horrible strugglings within it, and the girls lie awake, sick with fear, listening till their ears grow heavy and dull for the report of their father's pistol. At morning, the drunkard will stagger out and look perhaps into this glass that gives him back more than all his despair. The poor old man and I have had a terrible night of it, he stammers. He does his best, the poor old man, but it's all over with me. I see him go headlong at last and meet his end in the room above after twenty minutes' struggle, with a curious desire at last to play the man and face his death standing. I see the second sister fight with a swiftly wasting disease, and because she is a solitary titanic spirit, refuse all help and solace. She gets up one morning, insists on dressing herself, and dies. The youngest sister follows her, but more slowly and tranquilly, as beseems her gentler nature. Two only are left now, the queer father and the eldest of the four children, the reddish-eyed girl with the small hands, the girl who never talked, hopefully. Fame has come to her and to her dead sisters. For looking from childhood into this livid glass that reflected their world, they have peopled it with strange spirits. 
men and women in the real world recognize the awful power of these spirits without understanding them, not having been brought up themselves in front of this mirror. But the survivor knows the mirror too well. Mademoiselle, who's a triste? Monsieur, y'en est bien le droit. With a last look, I see into the small, commonplace church that lies just below the parsonage, and on a tablet by the altar, I read a list of many names. And the last is that of Charlotte Bronte. You've been listening to A Dark Mirror by Arthur Quillen Couch, who once said, We make our discoveries through our mistakes. We watch one another's success. And where there is freedom to experiment, there is hope to improve. If you like this podcast, please share it with someone. You'll find a link to this episode on our website, adventuresinaudio.net. I've enjoyed being with you, and I hope to be with you again soon. Please take care, and thank you for listening to me.